Turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Leviticus once again as we continue to make our way through this book. And we're going to uh, pick it up, the reading of God's Word this morning, in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. I had uh, sent out an email earlier in the week uh, that if you had the time to read all of chapter 9 and 10, uh, we, however, will only read a portion of that this morning, although the whole passage, the whole section is our text. So we're going to pick it up at Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22. Let's hear then God's breathed out word to us as his people this morning. Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. They died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Thus far, the reading of God's word this morning. Let's again bow in prayer and ask for God's blessing on it. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this portion of your word that we could read this morning and hear read. Lord, it seems like a difficult passage. Lord, help us to realize how holy and awesome you are and that you desire us to worship you in the way that you have commanded us to, and that is the only way to please you. So give us ears to hear your words this morning. Give Pastor Bob the words to speak. We thank you for the willingness that he has to bring forth your word faithfully each week. Help us to take that in and to be a witness to those that we come in contact with this week for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So Three Fires is the name of uh, the title of the message this morning. Perhaps a more accurate title would have been Three Consuming Fires, two of which we have read about in these few verses, two times. It is mentioned about a consuming fire. The third will be our third point when we come to it this morning. The first one, the first consuming fire, will title the consuming fire of acceptance. The second one is the consuming fire of judgment. The third is the consuming fire of Hebrews. That was easy, right? You only had to write in one word, consuming fire. 
But we're going to find it in three different contexts for us to look at this morning. First of all, the first one that we read about that occurs here near the end of chapter 9. And so we, we need to kind of get back into it. What is going on is that there are sacrifices being offered. The rest of the chapter goes through the sacrifices. It goes through in detail what is being offered, what is going, being put upon the altar. The occasion, though, is what we have to pay attention to. What is, what is the occasion of Leviticus chapter 9? It takes place after Leviticus chapter 8. What was Leviticus chapter 8? It was the ordination of Aaron. It was the setting apart of Aaron and his family to be priest. And Aaron in particular to be the high priest, the one who would then be the offerer of the sacrifices. And you'll remember the ceremony. It went through elaborate detail in Leviticus chapter 8. The significance of Aaron serving as the high priest. The clothing, the washing, the blood. All of the ceremonial stuff that is happening in terms of Aaron's ordination and of setting him and his sons apart for this great work amongst the people of God. Then, they were to go into the tabernacle and they were to be there for seven days. They were not to leave the tabernacle enclosure. At the end of the seven days, Moses comes and says, okay, now that time of completion is done. Now it's time to offer sacrifices. So that's the occasion of the consuming fire. But there's more. There is also the person who is now involved. It's not Moses who is offering the sacrifices. It is not Moses who is putting these offerings on the fire. It is Aaron for the very first time. Moses has been doing it all along. It has always been Moses. It's always been Moses. It's always been Moses. Now that Aaron is officially ordained to be the high priest, this is the first time, these are the first animals that Aaron is involved in the sacrifice of. He is doing the work with all of that detail, with all of those requirements that were given back in those first seven chapters. So what do we read? How did he do? He's in the job. He's doing the job. What happens? When Moses and Aaron, we read, come out of the tabernacle, they bless the people, the glory of the Lord appears, and what happens? Fire comes out before the Lord. Now how that happens, what that looks like, Moses does not go into a description. Is it some giant fireball that comes forth? We don't know. But it's obvious that the people that Moses, Aaron, those who are witnessing this ceremony from that, that gate, they see 
the fire of the Lord, and they know it is from him. They know it is from his glorious presence. They know it is coming out of the tabernacle, and the fire comes, and it consumes the offering. It burns it up. What's the significance of that? Well, the word consume implies the idea of complete and total. So there is a total burning up of these sacrifices so that there is, as it were, nothing remaining. Is there a significance to that? Yes. It means that God approved of the work that Aaron did. It means that Aaron functioning as the high priest for the very first time, God is saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You did it. You followed it. You offered it. It's approved. Secondly, it means it was accepted by him. That he received it. Because it is the fire of the Lord that went out, this is the fire of his acceptance, of his approval. God is saying, yes, this was a pleasing aroma to me. This sacrifice has accomplished that purpose for which it was given. Aaron did it. Aaron did it as he was supposed to. And God took delight in the obedience of Aaron and in the offering that was given. It's an acknowledgement, this consuming fire. It's an acknowledgement that, yes, you are sinners, but through the blood, your sin is washed away. In other words, it's also atonement. That's that consuming fire of acceptance. That God comes down and through this fire demonstrates to the people. Aaron's done his work. The sacrifices are that which I take delight in and I approve of them. And atonement is thereby signified. Look at the response of the people. And when the people saw it, saw what? When they saw the consuming fire, when they saw this fire of the Lord come and consume the offering, when they saw it, that part, okay, not all the rest, how did they respond? One, they shouted. They shout. When all the people saw it, they shouted. And when you look it up, this, this, this shout is the shout of joy. This shout is the shout of victory. This shout is the shout of relief. This shout, we, we don't have the words, but one can well imagine that this was hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That they are shouting out their thanksgiving of joy to the Lord. Why? Because he accepted the sacrifice. And their immediate response is a response of joy, a response of relief, a response of praise, a response of thanksgiving, a response of gratitude. God has given to us a high priest. 
And through the work of that high priest, the sacrifices have been approved by him. Oh Lord my God, how great thou art. And they fell. And they fell on their faces. We were dealing with the chapter in Daniel this past Thursday on uh, Thursday morning Bible study, dealing with Nebuchadnezzar's erecting of that golden image in the plain of Dura and how at the sound of the music the people were to fall down. They were to bow down. And, and, and what did that signify? That signified an act of worship. So we went back to the first, the, the commandment, you shall not make an image of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth and bow down to them. What are these people doing when they fell on their faces to the ground? It is an act of worship. It is an act that says, Lord, may you be magnified. Lord, may you be glorified. It's an acknowledgement of the fact that we're nothing outside of the grace of God. It's an act of humility whereby we magnify the name of the Lord. That consuming fire resulted in joy and in worship. But just a few verses later, we read of it again. Here come Aaron's two sons. Nadab and Abihu. We don't know the time frame in between. We don't know if it's hours, days, weeks. We're we're given no time frame as to how soon this happened, except by the word now. Okay? It it doesn't say sometime later. It's now. In other words, it it gives you the indication that it didn't take long. It wasn't long after this that Nadab and Abihu, what did they do? Well, it says they each took their own censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. So what exactly did they do here? Well, some people theorize that perhaps they went in and did it at the wrong time. That would be unauthorized fire. There were designated times when the the censers were to be used in lighting incense and so forth. There were designated times when that were to happen. It unauthorized would mean to do it at any other time than when God prescribed it to be done. Some people believe that the incense was wrong. That they, God had given earlier a, a very detailed 
prescription as to what the incense was to be, what, what it was to contain. Some people look at this and say, well, if it's unauthorized fire, then perhaps the incense was wrong. That, that the measurements were wrong. They were sloppy. Okay, they didn't use the precise amounts. They used more of one and less of another. And so God goes, I don't recognize that which you're bringing me. That that is not the, the, the ingredients that I told you by measure you were to bring. But the weight seems to fall on the word fire, doesn't it? They brought unauthorized fire. I want you to notice something. Verse 1. They each took his censer. There's a problem here. They weren't to use their own censers. They were to use the censer that had been appointed by God for this purpose. Not their own. Not their own individual censer. But, but there was one that, that God had anointed that was part of the whole tabernacle anointing ceremony. It was that censer that they are supposed to be using. But they didn't. They brought their own. As if their own was as good enough as the one that God had designated. Well, God, you'll certainly accept this one. It's certainly okay. I bring it my own. I certainly don't have to do it with yours, each brought his own. Problem number two, each brought, which means how many censors are being brought to the Lord? This is a math problem, it might be tricky, but how many censors? Two. You know how many censors were to be used? One. They violated God's command. He had said one censor was to be used for this. They each brought their own. So not only is it their own, they also doubled the amount beyond what God had told them to do. Notice each took his censor and put fire in it. They each lit their own fire on their own censor. That's not where the fire was to come from. The fire wasn't come to come from themselves. The fire was supposed to come from the brazen altar. But you see, they don't want the fire from the sacrifice, from the altar. They're going to make it their own fire. There is the idea that as you follow that through, what is happening is they're doing it as an individual. And they're not doing it as the priest of God. They're seeking to come into God's presence with their own rules, their own agenda, their own formulations. And that the rules and laws and commands that God has given regarding the worship doesn't really matter. That can all be brushed aside. Each took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and offered 
unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. They're inventing it. They're doing it on their own. Even though God had clearly given to them commands about how this was to be done. They're setting the commands of God aside so that they might do their own thing. For whatever reason. We don't know. My guess is they thought they were worshiping God. My guess is they thought they were doing the right thing or else they wouldn't have done this. They thought this was perfectly acceptable. They thought they were, they were doing a good thing here. Hey, look, Lord, we each brought our own censer. We put our own fire on it. Here we come. Isn't this great, God? We doubled what was supposed to be done. God says, I didn't command that. I didn't command that. I'm not taking any delight in you inventing ways of worshiping me. How do we know that? Verse 2. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Interesting. Same terminology. A consuming fire. But this time it's a consuming fire of judgment. They die. This is not accepted. This is not approved. God takes no delight in that which they are doing. I want you to note how, how complete God's judgment is of them. Go to verse 5. So they got to get the guys out. How are we going to deal with these dead men? Okay. Look at verse 5. So they came near and carried them in their coats, out of the camp. Anybody notice anything strange? How do two men get totally consumed, burned completely, thoroughly, whatever other word we want to go back and use, but not their coats. How can their coats be in such a condition that they're still able to carry out the ashes in the coats? Because the coats are still whole. Why? Because it isn't the priesthood that's the problem. It's the men in the priesthood. It's not the fact that God made a mistake. Oh, man, God's going, wow. Oh, I never should have had priests. Oh, this was, this was a dumb idea of mine. Oh, what was I thinking when I set apart Aaron as the high priest and his sons as priests? Oh, we're not going to do that. We're going to get rid of the whole priesthood idea. No. The fact that the people of Israel could see those charred, what was left, of the ashes of these men as they're carried out side of the camp, and yet their coats are still in one piece. 
was a witness and a testimony. It's not the priesthood. It's not that which I have ordained. It's not that which I have commanded. It's not that which I have done. It is the weakness and the sinfulness of these men. That's further heightened by the fact that Moses comes to Aaron and says, no mourning, no grieving. Not today. Don't, as would be typical, is to, you know, frazzle up your hair, put on sackcloth, put on ashes, grieve and mourn the loss of your sons. Nope. Do your job. Don't let it appear on your face. Carry forth with your work. Complete the work that you have to do today. Carry it on. Do not let there be a sign of remorse. Why? Because the priesthood has to continue. The priesthood has to go on. God desires that the priests continue their work and there be no interruption in the work of this meteor, mediator who stands in the gap between God's holiness and these sinful people. Not for a moment. Continue the work. It's not the priesthood that's the problem. It's Nadab and Abihu. And they fall under then the judgment of God. And so we see two examples. Consuming fire. It was approval. It responded in a day of shouting, a day of worship. We see the consuming fire of God as the hand of God's judgment upon unfaithful priests. Turn with me now to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. As you might say, okay, here again, this is all stuff back there in the book of Leviticus. What does this have to do with you and I? What does this have to do with us? Go to chapter 12. We're going to pick it up at verse 18. Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake, not only the earth but also the heavens. 
This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. There it is again. Not found buried in an Old Testament passage that people may ignore and go, well, you know, that's Old Testament. God's different in the New Testament. No, he's still a consuming fire. What does that mean? Well, if we look at the context of the passage here in Hebrews, it's coming as a warning. But it's also coming as grace. The author of Hebrews is looking ahead to the day of judgment, to the day when Christ returns, to the day when God consumes by fire this world and all that is in it, according to Peter. And this world, once again, is consumed by the judgment of God. The author of Hebrews is saying, folks, you need to be careful. You need to be careful that you don't get lazy in your Christianity. You got to be careful that you don't backslide. You got to be careful that you don't leave the Lord your God. That God has provided all of these examples. Yes, even the example of Leviticus 9. And yes, the example of Leviticus 10. As a warning to us. That he is coming again. And he is going to shake things up. And that shaking will result in nothing being left except that which he has deemed to be permanent. And it will be consumed by fire. But what is the response of God's people? Let us come to God with acceptable worship, with reverence and awe. And don't think that the author of Hebrews is not thinking about Leviticus 9 and 10. He's coming back to that. And he's saying, you, you have a kingdom as the people of God that cannot be shaken. You have a mediator, Jesus Christ, the high priest, who continues his role forever and ever and ever. He's not like the high priest of the Old Testament who live and serve for a period of time and then they die. He is not a high priest of the Old Testament in weakness who is a sinful. He is the sinless High priest, who stands before the throne of God even now, even at this moment, interceding for you and I. And you and I, as part of that kingdom, covered in the blood of the Lamb of God, are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. How do you respond? You worship. You worship this God. You worship this God who in His grace and in His mercy has given us not only 
a sinless sacrifice, but a sinless sacrificer. A sinless priest and a sinless lamb. So that you and I might know that we have a kingdom that shall never be taken away from us. How do we respond? By worship. How? In reverence and in awe. And sadly, in the church of Jesus Christ too often, this is not the way we worship. I could haul up the videos. Some 40-something wanna be a 20-something with a backward baseball cap with his funny-looking shirt who's throwing out slang words and slang terms in order to be hip. Acceptable worship to God? Looks more like a show, looks more like a prop, looks more like an act. Hey, I'll fill the church with a bunch of people who are upset at this time, and I'll use kind of filthy terms, but I'll kind of cloak them a little bit. I'll use sexual innuendo in my preaching. The fire of the Lord came out and consumed Nadab and Abihu. Hey, let's throw a little holy smoke across the stage. Yeah, God will like that. Let me wear a t-shirt of some rock band while I preach. Some godless, atheistic rock band. Yeah, that, that'll honor God. That shows reverence and awe. Yeah, let me sh- make sure I've got my water and coffee and everything else set to go. And man, if I run out in the middle of the sermon or the middle of a song of praise to God, well, I'll just go fill it up. After all, what's worship anyway? But my friends, it doesn't happen just there. It can happen here. It can happen in our hearts. We're coming here to worship God and now we're thinking about business. We're thinking about work. Ideas come to us. We might even jot them down on the back of the bulletin. Oh, got to call so-and-so, forgot to do that. And we let the things of the world infiltrate our minds. We let our business infiltrate our minds. Oh, that's right, when I get groceries this week, I got to make sure to pick up this and this and this. Holy, holy, holy. Oh, that's right. I got to get cinnamon. Or we're thinking about other things going on in the church world. What's happening there? What's happening there? Oh, my mind is just filled with all of this information while I sing, All glory be to Christ. No. This passage, my friends, is a warning, a stark warning to any pastor of the gospel. This is to be done with reverence and awe. And to any worshiper 
of the Lord who understands the greatness of God's grace. That worship is not what I decide, not what I enjoy, not what I think is cooler, not that which I think is a good idea, but that which God desires. And so we worship our God who is a consuming fire with reverence in obedience to his word, in obedience to his commands, not only just externally, but in our hearts, in our minds. We are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And if we're to love him, then certainly that way, we are certainly to worship him that way. And with awe. God has accepted the sacrifice of Christ for my sin. And he consumed that sacrifice. He accepted it fully, completely for all my sin. The awe of that so should fill my mind and my heart that when I'm gathered with God's people in worship, everything else makes no difference. The temperature of the building the sound of a baby crying, the rustling of pages, nothing. Because I'm in awe that my God is a consuming fire. Not in fear of judgment, but because he has graciously accepted the offering of Christ. And so let us worship God. Let us therefore be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And God's people say, Amen. Father.